Well, good morning, church family. It's good to be in worship here with you today. Now, have you ever wondered how much the world has changed since you were born? Well, believe it or not, we live in a time where uh, we can just jump on the internet and within moments find out exactly how much the world has changed. So I thought maybe this morning I could start by sharing with you how much the world has changed since I was born. Now, I am today 13,397 days old. Now, if you do the math, uh, that'll bring you back to October 22nd, 1984. And I know I just dated myself, but it's for a good cause. Now, since 1984, my heart has beat more than 1.3 trillion times. Uh, I've taken a breath over 304 million times. And between that first breath in 1984 to this very moment, there are a little under 3 billion more people living here on the earth. Here's a few more things that have changed in the world. There's 19% more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. It's not a good thing. Um, a dollar in 1984 is equivalent to $2.48 today, also not a very good thing. Um, and the S&P 500 has been up 1,937% over my lifetime, and I kind of wish I had started investing in my future a little earlier. <laughs> now, we often feel like the world is getting worse as, uh, as uh, we get older, but the stats suggest in many ways it's gotten better. Uh, since I was born, uh, the amount of people living in extreme poverty decreased 78%. World literacy went from 76 to 86%, and life expectancy is up roughly about 10 years, and 16% more people have access to electricity than when I was born. Probably one of the biggest changes that took place during my lifetime was the rise of the internet, which has basically taken over uh, the world. And uh, it enables us today to gather all across the world from all around as one church family. But why am I sharing all of this with you? Well, because to live is to experience change. That's a truth we've all lived. We've also lived another truth. You know what it is? Just as to live is to experience change, so to live is to experience God's goodness. Now, one of the most well-loved scripture verses that people usually will embrace as their life verse is Jeremiah 29, 11. Check out what Jeremiah says here in the scripture. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Last week, Pastor John taught us about the truth about change. The truth is, change is inevitable. Whether we want it or not, we all experience it. And even when we experience good change, we experience some degree of grief, of loss, of pain. We also learn that even when the change is negative, God can use the bad things we experience for good. He can also use our sin and our mistakes to accomplish his purpose. Whether your experience of change has resulted from choices you've made, consequences you've suffered, or perhaps circumstances you find yourself in, the truth is that God is at work in the change. And because of this, we learn that change is always a test of faith. 
when our faith stands the test, then we grow stronger spiritually and we glorify God in the process. So what does Pastor John's teaching mean for us today? I want to share two thoughts with you. And the first thought is that, is, is this, that God is Lord over change. God is Lord over change. Colossians is one of the most beautiful writings in the New Testament that speaks about the vastness of the God of the universe. And listen to what it says about the, the lordship of God in Colossians 1:16 through 17. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So according to Colossians, not only did God create the entire universe and everything in it, but God also holds all these incredible things together by his very being. By being who God is, he holds it all together. If all things were created by God and in, in him all things are held together, then it means that God is Lord over everything, and change is included in everything. To be Lord over change means that nothing surprises or thwarts God's purpose. And that leads directly to my second thought, that change is part of God's purpose for us. Change is part of God's purpose for us. There are plenty of biblical examples of this. In fact, the one that came to mind when I was writing the sermon was how God spoke to the Israelite people in exile, promising to bring them back home. Listen to how he spoke through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, verses 18 through 19. God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Not, so as we continue to emerge from our long season of pandemic, I can't help but feel like God is saying something similar to each of us. Don't dwell on how things used to be before all this happened. Instead, focus on what I'm doing right now. Because what I'm doing is making a way for you to experience the fullness of life that I always intended for you. Things are going to change, but if you trust me, you'll see that I'm using this change to bring you to a better place. It's like the Israelites in exile who look back on their failure to follow God and the devastating loss of the promised land. God's saying to them to not think any more about their failure, but to focus on God's goodness in restoring them to the place their hearts long to return to. It won't be the same as it was before, but by the grace of God, it could be even better. In fact, when we talk about repentance, that's the ultimate form of change that God works into our lives. We're talking about moving from a life displeasing to God, a life that's focused on ourselves, to a life reoriented toward God. That's the de very definition of God-led change. It's the gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God's purpose is to change our direction from death to life, from alienation to relation, from chaos to order and peace. 
So if God is Lord over change and change is part of God's purpose for us, we need to address the elephant in the room. Most of us don't want to change. It's the truth. Most of us don't want to change. In fact, we resist it. We'd rather kick and scream our way out of change than embrace it. I just read this week that the practice of psychotherapy in the United States is losing its client base. Uh, between the years 1997 and 2008, uh, those who were going in for psychotherapy, uh, the numbers decreased by about 30%. And you know why that is? Because psychotherapy involves the hard work of dealing with our own uh, issues. And what a lot of people have shifted to is, is blaming others for uh, their problems. And so less people are coming in and saying, I want to change myself. Instead, people want to change others. Here, here's an article. Listen to the beginning of the ar another article that I read this past week. This is a really uh, stark paragraph. It, it, re it goes like this. Change or die. What if you were given that choice? What if a well-informed, trusted authority figure said you had to make difficult and enduring changes in the way you think and act? If you didn't, your time would end soon, a lot sooner than it had to. Could you change when change really mattered, when it mattered most? Truth of the matter is, for over 600,000 people in the United States, this is their reality. Those who are having heart surgery each year, this is their reality. And you know how many of them followed their doctor's advice? Only about 10%. That means 90% of the people were unable or unwilling to make the changes necessary to prolong their own lives. They decided to maintain the status quo and effectively chose an early death. Why do we resist change? There's so many reasons, but I want to share four with you this morning in particular. And the first reason that we resist change is we haven't prioritized God's word. Now, I know that sounds kind of strange, but think about what the Bible is. It's the witness of a living God. We call it God's word because it reveals the word of God, who is Jesus Christ, to us in a way that has saved, guided, and built up disciples over millennia. Listen to what Paul says about God's word to his protege, Timothy. He says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So, scripture is inspired by God, useful to teach us, and in a way, shines a spotlight on those places in our lives that are wrong so that we can correct those places. When we don't prioritize God's word and read scripture regularly, we miss out on the growth that God wants to work into our lives. Think of scripture as a kind of spotlight that shines light into the darkest corners of our being. Despite ourselves, scripture makes it possible for us to change even when that isn't our primary goal. I can't help but think of the disciples who were on the road to Emmaus when they encountered Jesus. This is what they learned, that when you combine a relationship with Jesus and the practice of reading and reflecting on Scripture regularly, your life changes direction entirely. 
Another reason that we resist change is we fear we have something to lose. We fear we have something to lose. You know, my wife, sister-in-law, and I recently moved out of the apartment we've been living in for the last four years into our first home. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fantastic. I never thought I'd make it before the age of 40, actually. Um, but aside from the thundering horde of children above our heads at all hours uh, in that apartment, I, I was pretty comfortable there. It was um, the best apartment we lived in. It had a nice layout, and I really didn't want to leave, to tell you the truth, especially as long as I was appointed at Christ Church. It's like, well, I might get reappointed someday. Uh, don't worry, I'm staying for at least this next year I'm staying, but um, I may be reappointed someday, and I don't want to move until that happens. But you know, as we considered our options, I began to crunch the numbers, and what I realized is as painful as it would be to uproot our lives and to move, we'd be in better emotional, mental, and financial shape if we had our own place. I came to understand through the process of letting go that I had more to, more to gain than I actually had to lose. The Apostle Paul realized the exact same thing when he first encountered Jesus. Listen to his own uh, testimony of what that did for him in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. When the gospel was first preached, Paul was known as Saul. And Saul persecuted Christians. He, he chased after them. He hunted them down. He thought that they were some dangerous sects that would destroy Judaism from the inside out. What he missed was God had done a new thing in his day, something long foretold. Before encountering Jesus for the first time, Paul did everything he could to maintain the status quo, including putting Christian disciples into jail and even attending their executions. He was afraid he had something to lose, so he resisted change. But then Jesus literally knocked Paul off of his horse and blinded him on the road to Damascus. And ever since that time, Paul embraced the Lord wholeheartedly. He embraced change. He reversed course. He repented. That which was once precious to him, the thing he feared to lose the most now became disposable. He says that he counts everything as garbage compared to his relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you say the same? Can I say the same? If not, you may fear you have more to lose than you trust what you have to gain. Another reason that we resist change is we want to maintain the illusion of control. We want to maintain the illusion of control. How many of you would consider yourselves control freaks? Okay, I see some hands. Well, the truth of the matter is, we all are to one degree or another. Often we can fool ourselves into thinking we're in control. Uh, it'll make us feel better about our circumstances. But to steal one of Pastor John's well-used phrases, listen to what wise old King Solomon had to say in Proverbs 19.21, about the human tendency to want to be in control. Wise old King Solomon says, many are the plans in a person's heart, 
but it is who? The Lord's purpose that prevails. You know what this says, right? It says that you can go ahead and make all the plans you want, but God gets the last laugh. God gets the last laugh because God's purpose prevails over your plans. The truth is that there's very little that we control in life. That's why we settle for the illusion of control. But scripture witnesses that it's better to acknowledge we're not in control and to seek to do God's will instead, to understand God's purpose for our lives. When we yield to the Lord, we no longer need to be in control. You see, we can rest in God's lordship over all creation. The last reason that we resist change that I wanted to share with you this morning is we work to avoid any kind of suffering. We work to avoid any kind of suffering. Think about it. I'll go back to my uh, example of moving from the apartment to the house. I resisted moving from the apartment to the house because I wanted to avoid suffering. I didn't want to go through the pain of losing a familiar place. I didn't want to go through the work of packing my belongings, renting a U-Haul, taking time off of work, and doing all the extensive paperwork involved in the home buying process. But, and, and I will say that the last month has been one of the most unsettling and painful of my recent life. But with suffering comes much needed change. You know, the Apostle Paul had a major challenge in one of his churches. And he actually wrote a sharply worded letter to them, basically saying, you need to shape up and act like the Christians you're supposed to be. And 2 Corinthians is the letter that he wrote in response to the way that the church received his sharply worded letter. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first. By the way, this is a biblical example of sorry, not sorry. <laughs> so Paul says, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. Paul suffered in writing this letter, which he knew would hurt the Corinthian church, but he hoped that it would move them to change their ways. Because Paul was bold enough to follow God's lead through the suffering, his letter did bring about change. He told the church the pain they experienced moved them to change and to repent, to turn aside from the way that they were, to be more true to God and to the community. I'm not saying we go out to seek pain and suffering, but as an inevitability of life, isn't it empowering to know that God will use the pain and suffering we experience to bring change into our lives? The problem is we'll never allow him to change us so long as the goal in our lives is to preserve our own comfort, to maintain the status quo, and to avoid any kind of suffering. At this point, you may be thinking, okay, I understand why some of the reasons why we resist change, but why should we embrace change? What I could tell you, change stops us stagnating, that it creates new opportunities for us, or enlarges our territory, or even refreshes our spirit. But I only have three words for you. This is why we should embrace change. 
God's unmerited grace. Unmerited means that you've done nothing to earn it. It's a free gift of God. Pastor John calls it God's freeing and saving grace, and I say amen to that. Look how Paul describes it in his letter to the Ephesians. I love these verses. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. When God saves you by his grace, that isn't the end of the story. It's only the beginning. In Jesus Christ, you and I are new creations. God's doing something new in us and through us. You see, God saves us by grace and creates us anew so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago so that we can fulfill his purpose for our lives. That's why we're each a masterpiece. We all have a unique contribution to make to what God is doing to restore the creation to what God wants it to be. If that's true, we ought to pay attention. It means God's will for you is to embrace the change he brings into your life. So church family, how do we embrace change? I'm going to share with you four ways as we wrap up. The first is this. Recognize the need to change. Recognize the need to change. Have you ever heard this expression before? It goes something like this. God receives you just as you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. It isn't in the Bible, but I believe it captures the spirit of God's heart for us that's found in Scripture. God sees your potential because he created it. He knows how to unlock it so long as we recognize the need to change. Earlier, we talked about how Paul went from resisting change to fully embracing change in a relationship with Jesus. Here's his perspective on it in uh, Philippians 3. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul realizes that he's a work in progress. By the time he's written this, he's come so far from his days as Saul the persecutor, and yet he recognizes those areas of resistance in his heart that remain towards God and towards the change that God is working in his life. He recognizes that he's in a kind of spiritual race. He, he knows that to grow complacent means arresting his momentum in the faith. By saying he forgets what's behind, he's saying that the past no longer has power over the changes God is working into his life in the present. He recognizes his need to change and he cooperates with God's grace to keep moving forward. Church family, what a difference it would make if each of us continued moving forward towards the goal of our faith. Another way we, that we embrace change is to seek wisdom and focus on what you can change. 
Seek wisdom and focus on what you can change. There are entire books of the Bible dedicated to the virtue and the value of wisdom. We learn that wisdom comes from God and was with God from the very beginning of the creation of the entire universe. In fact, the New Testament makes a link between the pre-incarnate Christ, God the Son, and his role in creation, and the Old Testament personified figure of wisdom. So if God is love, God is also wisdom. And listen to the Apostle James's advice on how to seek wisdom. James 1.5 reads, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You know, I love how James kind of tongue-in-cheek says, if any of you lacks wisdom. I mean, let's face it, we all lack wisdom. But if you ask God for wisdom, if you seek it out, you'll receive it because we have a generous God. I can't tell you how many times I've received wisdom from reading scripture or talking with a brother or sister in the faith. Think about it this way. God's will is our roadmap for life, and the wisdom of God is our GPS. So the roadmap shows us where we begin and where we're called to end. And the GPS gives us turn-by-turn, step-by-step instructions for how to get to, from one end of the roadmap to the other. And what this means is the wisdom of God guides us to live out God's will and God's purpose for our lives. God's wisdom positions you to focus on what you can change on your faith journey. And more importantly, it gives you wisdom to know what you can't change. For instance, you can't change other people. You know, maybe you've tried before, but I assure you, apart from God's grace, you can't change another person. In fact, a man named Howard Hendricks uh, did a study and observed that young pastors leave their ministry primarily because of about 16% of members who will never change. The focus is on the 16% who never change, but the focus should be on the 84% who are ready and willing to change. You also can't change on a dime. Now, I don't know what kind of beefed up engines you may have, but I very much doubt you're gonna be able to get your minivan from zero to 60 in under three seconds. I mean, let's face it. And it's the same thing spiritually. It's best to focus on small changes the Lord has put on your heart because those will often lead to bigger changes down the road. I'll give you an example. So I became a Christian uh, at the end of 2011 after attending Christ Church for about six months as an agnostic. After I became a disciple, I spent a lot of time reading scripture, praying, reflecting on God's word, and uh, talking with other believers. I made small changes here and there, and over time, I discerned that God was calling me into the ministry. So I spent two years discerning that call and, and speaking with people like Pastor John and other mentors in my life. Eventually, I went to seminary for three years. Then after seminary, I was appointed to start an online campus here at my home church. That was four years ago. And since then, I've experienced so many changes that I can't even begin to describe them or quantify them. And that's exactly what I'm talking about here. That's how it works. Over the course of this last decade, I've experienced a tremendous amount of change. But it all started small. 
and it built up. And one day, I looked back on all the change that I experienced, and I was amazed at how far God has brought me. Now, the other way that we can embrace change as a church family is to adopt a posture of humility. Adopt a posture of humility. I want to give you two definitions for humility. The first goes something like this. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. The second definition I wanted to share with you is humility is an open posture of trust that come what may, God has my best interest at heart. In many ways, it's a release of that tendency to control what is often out of our hands. Look at what James says about the power of humility. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. You see, when we humble ourselves, we receive more of God's grace. And God's grace doesn't just enable us to embrace change, but it enables us to change. God's pleased when we humble ourselves because we're right-sizing ourselves in relation to the God of the universe. We recognize God alone should sit on the throne of our hearts. The truth is we can never truly change unless we adopt a posture of humility before God. It means acknowledging that God truly is Lord over change and that change is part of God's purpose for our lives. The last way that we embrace change is this. Remember who God is. Remember who God is. We human beings are so forgetful. When we're in the trenches of life, we often, often act as if God isn't there, that he doesn't exist or isn't involved or doesn't have our best interest at heart. And then we gather together on Sundays and we praise God and call him an all-loving and all-good God. And it's not God who's inconsistent, it's our memory of God that is inconsistent throughout our week. Here's the gospel truth in Hebrews 13, 8, one of the most powerful truths in the Bible that we need to take to heart. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's say that together, church family. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. When everything in your life is changing all around you, this is the bedrock upon which your life stands. Aside from change itself, this is the one constant we have in the universe. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, it's no secret that as a church, we're undergoing a season of uncertainty and transition. By this time next week, and I hate to say this, but by this time next week, Pastor John will be in his 30th and final year as our lead pastor here at Christ Church. And we'll be welcoming Pastor Todd on board as our transitional lead pastor. You know, the year ahead, I think, will be loaded with all kinds of emotion like grief, excitement, nostalgia, joy, and gratitude. But no matter how we feel about it, one truth remains consistent. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. People come and go, but the gospel message stays the same. Our mission doesn't change. In fact, 
It doesn't change who we are, who we're called to be, what we're called to do. You and I are still called, no matter what happens, to love God, love others, and live out the gospel life. The gospel message is forever, and so is our mission. So whether you're facing personal change, or you're feeling anxious over the changes that we'll be experiencing in the near future in our church family, I want you to know that you're not alone. God never promised change would be easy or painless, but God has promised to be with us through all the changes we experience. It all comes back to the promise of Jeremiah 29:11. I stand up here as a living proof to you that God does plan to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. Are we ready to trust God's word to us? Then let's run the race together and embrace change. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace in Jesus Christ, which never fails and never ends. You, God, alone are God. You are Lord over change. You have, you have made it your purpose to bring change into our life so that we can become more like Christ in character, so that this world may hear the gospel, so that your people may be saved, that none may perish, but all may have eternal life in your name. So God, we stand before you anxious, grateful, feeling maybe a little unease at the changes we're experiencing, not just coming out of a pandemic, not just with what may be going on in our personal lives, but with what has been a bedrock for so long to so many of us, which is the life of our church family, which will look very different in the coming days, and a year from now, very, very different. And Lord, we just pray that you would be Lord over this massive change we're experiencing as Pastor John moves into his final year as our lead pastor, and as Pastor Todd comes to take the baton, and as we move together and continue to be consistent in our mission to love you, love others, and live out the gospel life. Help us, God, to resist our resistance to change, to embrace change in all the ways we talked about today and even more, that we may be yours, that we may put all of our trust in a God who is all good, all loving, and all present with us, no matter what we face. So God, may you have all the glory, and we pray this with gratitude and great expectation in the holy and awesome and precious and all-sufficient name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's people say, amen.